When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I command my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, who, though a member of the council, had not agreed to their plan and action. He came from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid it in a rock-hewn tome, tomb where no one had ever been laid. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, the women who had followed Jesus since his ministry in Galilee came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said unto them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Jesus, those who had been with him through his ministry, those who had run away that Friday, those who had stayed near the cross, had gathered in a room, in a locked room, And the shock of the events that had happened on Friday had gradually settled into the numbing grief of that day. You can imagine what it was like in that room. Perhaps a few whispered to each other, but most just sat and stared off into space. And suddenly, the silence was destroyed by a pounding on the door. And you can imagine that everybody just jumped And and looked around, they were startled, and then they were afraid because they were hiding because they felt like that the same thing that had happened to Jesus might happen to them. And they began listening to the pounding on the door, and then they heard the voices on the other side of the door, and they began to recognize that these voices were the voices of Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, James's mother, and some of the other women who had been with him. And and then they were angry. Don't they know, don't those women know that we're hiding? those women know that they can cause all kinds of problems. So someone finally went and opened the door and they got them in and they're going, shh, 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 shh. But the women were talking, just blah, 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 blah. And they said, we, we went to the tomb and we went to the, to the cemetery and we went there and we took them. We were going to prepare the body and we were going to do this. And we were going to do that. And when we got there, the tomb was open and we looked in and there was no body. No body was there. The body of Jesus was gone. And then suddenly there were these two guys standing there and they had these bright clothes on and they said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is risen, and he has gone before you. And don't you remember that he told you this? 
And then the women said, you know, we do remember. Don't you remember? He told us what would happen. He told us that he would die. He told us he would be buried. And he told us he would live again. And we want to tell you, we believe that. We believe Jesus is alive. But those people in that room still didn't get it. If you read your Bible, there in Luke chapter 24, it says, after the women gave them this testimony, they thought it was nonsense. The Greek word there for you Greek scholars is leros. It just means garbage, just silliness. They didn't believe that. How would they believe that someone who had died was living again? Someone that they had seen, the mangled corpse, would be up and alive again. But you know what they did do? They went and looked to see for themselves. I want to tell you something. Many years ago, I woke up to find myself a single father with two small children. They're sitting in this room today as young men. And I didn't know what to do at that moment. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was a lot of things. And to be honest, Jesus wasn't really right there on my heart. I was sorting through a lot of other things. But I know Jesus is alive because I saw him in this church as you held on to me, Dot Herod, Ed Houston, all the rest of you. I saw that Jesus lives in your hearts. And I didn't just experience through this church the living Jesus, but I experienced him in my own heart as I tried to walk away, I tried to run away, and he wouldn't let me. And he held on to me. I believe with all my heart that Jesus lives And I'm not the only one. Listen to some more stories. I know that Jesus is alive because uh, more than 25, 27 years ago, um, I remember uh, giving my life to him, and I remember how I felt then and, uh, and how I felt at my baptism. And I go back to that whenever I... Uh, begin to question or doubt. I go back to that feeling. And I didn't know then um, what he had in store for me, um, the wonderful family that he had in mind for me. I didn't know um, the things that were coming over the next hill or around the next bend, but he knew, and he's been there and taking care of me and taking care of us. So that's how I know that Jesus is alive. I know that Jesus is alive because of the way that uh, our church family has been for us. They have been the hands and feet of Jesus. They have been Jesus in the flesh, uh, especially since we had our wreck uh, Christmas of 2009. And I have just seen him um, working through our brothers and sisters. And that's how I know that Jesus is alive.
I know that Jesus is alive. I know he's working in my life so much. I cannot possibly tell you the number of ways he's blessed me. There are so many of them, I can't count them, but those are only the ones that I know about. We see God is so evident in the big stuff in our lives. But you know, God is a God of the little stuff, too. And every day I try to identify and appreciate how God works in the little stuff in my life as well. For example, I came home from the store one day, and I was carrying a big paper sack and a smaller sack of groceries to the house. And because the sack was in front of me, I couldn't see very well and didn't know exactly what was in front and I tripped over a garden hose and fell. Well, in my osteoporosis, that could have been a possible bone fracture. But you know what happened? I fell on three boxes of cereal and a bunch of bananas. I just got up from the ground and I said, God, thank you for cereal and bananas. And I cleaned up the mess later. But God has been so very, very faithful countless, countless times in the big stuff in my life as well. I have pancreatic cancer, and it is a monumental storm in my life right now. But you know, inner God here, God saw that a different doctor found this at pancreatic mass in a CAT scan that was run for a completely different reason from what this was. Well, when we heard the diagnosis, I can tell you for sure, we were really shocked. I was really shocked, and so was my husband, Al, who, by the way, is one of the major blessings in my life. But I went home, and I sat down, talked with God about this, My first request from the bottom of my heart was, God, please, please keep my mind calm and cool in this situation. You know, he zapped me with it at that very instant. For this past year, God has kept me shielded so much from worry, depression, anger, hopeless feelings. But he's gone so very, very far beyond that. He's put me even more in touch than I've ever been with my wonderful family and friends who've prayed for me so much and who have loved me even more. He's also kept me nausea-free and relatively pain-free through these months of chemotherapy and radiation treatments, and he has given me an, an exceptional quality of life throughout this horrendous storm in my life. My gratitude for these blessings just goes beyond words. The message that I'd like to convey today is to urge each of you to delve down in your heart and find that depth of hope and trust in the God of such infinite love, such infinite help for us and forgiveness. Find that in your heart. I know for sure that if you will put your, if you will consciously put your heart and your head and even your body in God's hands, you will really, really feel that peace 
that he promised, that peace that passes understanding in the monumental storms in your life, too. God promised it, and it's there for you if you'll just seek it. I know for sure that it really works. Because of my God, in my mind, I don't feel like a cancer victim. I feel like a child of God who just happens to have cancer. And I know another thing. I know that even though someday I will lose this battle, but I know through the amazing grace of my wonderful God, I still will win this war. And I love every one of you. This morning, we do not ask you to believe because I believe or because the O'Briens believe or because June Green believes. But we ask that our faith will encourage you to go and look. And in the storms of your life, you will find the empty tomb and you will find the living Savior. For if you look, he is there. Let's stand and sing.